0: It will be if it isn't. By the time we're done, it's called the transfiguration of Jesus Christ or the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's read the text and then we'll come back and have some things to say about it. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John and James and went up on the mountain to pray as he prayed. The appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, every week we uh, try to see you in the word, see you in the scripture, see you revealed. You say of yourself that you have come in the volume of the book. Meaning that you are there on every page. And Lord we see you clearly in this section. But we want to understand what it means Lord. Your transfiguration. Your glorification. What it meant to the disciples who witnessed it. And what it means to disciples throughout the ages. As we await your coming. May your glory arise in our hearts and in our hearing today we pray these things in jesus name and those who agreed said amen Amen. julia ward howe had visited the army of the potomac and there she saw the commotion of the civil war it lay heavy on her heart until one night in december in 1861 she sprang from her bed and wrote a poem When she returned to Boston, she showed the words to James T. Fields, then editor of the Atlantic Monthly. He published the words in February of 1862. The poem was set to a common tune and quickly became an anthem to rally the worn and wearied Union troops. You know it as the Battle Hymn of the Republic. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And in that great refrain, glory, glory, hallelujah. Peter, John, and James could have written that song. Their eyes did see the glory of the coming of the Lord when Jesus was revealed before them on the mountain. They also heard the glory of the coming of the Lord as the Father overshadowed them in a cloud and spoke audibly, writing about their experience in his second letter Peter encouraged all believers to see and hear the glory of the Lord. He put it this way. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have a more sure word of prophecy, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Even though you weren't on the mountain with them, you have something better. You have what Peter calls a more sure word of prophecy. And by that, he means the written word of God to sustain you until the return of Jesus. The glory they saw and heard on the mountain is a glory you can see and hear through God's word. It is an anthem to rally you in your battles against sin and self and Satan. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, you see the glory of Jesus in his second coming. And number two, you hear the glory of Jesus until his second coming. First of all, in verses 27 through 32, you see the glory of Jesus in his second coming. The Lord had just told the disciples that he was on his way to the cross. As if that wasn't a blow, he then told them that they should deny themselves and take up their crosses. Wasn't Jesus the promised king? Weren't they going around preaching the kingdom? There was a disconnect somewhere in somebody's thinking. With the advantage of hindsight and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we better understand what Jesus meant. Because the nation of Israel would officially reject him as their king, the promised kingdom would be postponed. Jesus would ascend back to heaven, then return from heaven a second time in power and with glory to establish the rule of the kingdom of God on earth. In the meantime, his disciples and all those after them for all the centuries up to today would be waiting and watching for his second coming. While waiting, while watching, there are battles to be fought. And so to encourage you, you see the glory of Jesus Christ. And so again in verse 27, the Lord is speaking and he says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is the real and literal rule of Jesus over this planet planet Earth he will be physically present and rule from Jerusalem it will last for a thousand years afterwards the Lord will dissolve this earth and create a new heaven and a new earth that will endure for eternity how is it then that Jesus could promise that some of them would not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. It's answered for you in the very next verses. And so in verse 28, now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus had these three men as a sort of inner circle among his uh, disciples. They often accompanied him uh, when the other disciples did not, in fact, they alone accompanied him on these three occasions: earlier when Jesus had raised Jairus's daughter from the dead, here on the mountain, and later when Jesus would pray in the garden of Gethsemane, meditating on that, some commentators have noted that those three experiences parallel. Paul's comments in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 where he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He says that I may know him. This would be the experience on the mountain. The power of his resurrection as Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead and the fellowship of his sufferings that which Jesus endured in the garden. And I only mention that because it's cool but also because it helps you to understand that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it all fits in together. And Scripture is a great commentary on Scripture. There are good commentaries that men have written, uh, and there's good Bible study books. I have thousands of them, and there's more you can buy in the bookstore. There's a lot of bad ones, too, but we'll stay off that subject for now. But the Bible is itself the best commentary on the Bible. And it's neat to see these things all come together uh, as you memorize Scripture. And you're thinking, uh, where have I seen those three things together before? Why do these three disciples go to these three events? And so it gets you thinking about how you might study the Bible for yourself. Now Luke often mentions Jesus praying. He seemed constantly in prayer. If ever there were a secret... Or a key to life. It would be joining the Lord often in prayer. You could put it like this. Prayer is the key to the transformed life. We're going to see Jesus transfigured on the mount. Prayer is the key to a transformed life. Verse 29. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening. Now, the other gospel writers use the word transfigured to describe the change. Luke doesn't. I only mention that because this event is commonly referred to as the transfiguration or the mount of transfiguration. And so Luke doesn't use the word, but the others do. It's the word that comes to us in English as metamorphosis. And it means a change in the outward appearance that comes from within. And so this was a change in Jesus' outward appearance revealing what he truly was within. Jesus was God in human flesh. He was and he is the unique God-man. Fully God and fully man. His glory as God was veiled when he walked the earth as a man. Except on this one occasion when it was revealed for his disciples to see and for us to see now uh, as a result of their recording it. Now in the context of our verses, what the disciples were seeing was Jesus as he would and will appear in his second coming to earth when he establishes the kingdom. Verse 30, And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses had died about 1,500 years earlier. Elijah had been caught up alive to heaven 900 years earlier. Yet here they were, alive and conscious, talking to Jesus. The disciples had never seen them, but they immediately recognized them. They had an interest in events on the earth. There are more things that we could say, but all of these should encourage you to think about what heaven is going to be like. Everybody has different ideas about, you know, heaven. They have more, more than ideas, they have questions. One of the questions I get all the time is, will I recognize my loved ones in heaven? You'll recognize everyone in heaven. I don't know how, but you will. Now, you have to understand, these guys had never seen Moses and Elijah. This was before Da Vinci. This is before the illustrated Bible for fishermen. You know, they have Bibles for everybody now. Every people group imaginable has their own Bible. Uh, You know, and I don't want to make fun of any. I do want to make fun of everybody, but I won't. So this is the uh, because I'm a Christian and I'm trying to get control of that. Anyway... uh, They didn't have anything like that, and yet and and Peter and and John and James, we'll see in a minute, groggy coming out of that, you know, they're obviously not morning guys, and they're like, whoa, Moses and Elijah, they immediately recognized them. And it wasn't because Moses had the tablets and (laughs) Elijah had his chariot parked over there with personalized plates, you know, (laughs) caught up or something like that. What kind of plates would you have if you were Elijah? That would be cool to think about. So anyway, I don't know. Anyway, so they recognize him. So you'll recognize everybody and everybody will recognize you. And you'll be conscious and aware. And, and there's an interest in what's taking place on the earth. And so it's a, it's a big encouragement just to think about the fact that they saw these guys and that they were actually there. Why Moses and Elijah of all the great Old Testament uh guys that that could have been there and gals well i'm sure there were lots of reasons most commonly and certainly true they were the two men who best represent the old testament often jews summarize their scriptures we call it the old testament but to them it's the jewish scriptures they don't really recognize the new testament so the jewish scriptures were referred to if you wanted to talk about the whole of them as the law and the prophets And that was a summary of their entire writings. Moses, of course, represented the law because he was the lawgiver. Elijah represented the prophets. He was considered the greatest of the prophets. And why not? Many other prophets were taken up alive into heaven. Moses, the great lawgiver, is a witness that Jesus fulfills the law. And so when you see Jesus on the mount with Moses... Moses is, by his presence, giving you a testimony that this is the man who fulfills the law. And Elijah, the great prophet, he is a witness that Jesus fulfills all that the prophets ever said and all of their prophecies. And so it's a tremendous testimony of two witnesses as to the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Also, Moses had spoken in his writings of the coming of the king... ...and Elijah was predicted as the one who would proceed and announce the king's arrival. Keeping to our context, there's something else about Moses and Elijah that's precious. Moses died and was taken up to heaven. Elijah was caught up to heaven alive, never dying. Moses, therefore, represents believers who have or will die before the second coming of Jesus... Elijah represents all believers who will be caught up to heaven alive before the second coming of Jesus in the rapture of the church. The revealing of Jesus in glory with these two guys is a snapshot of the kingdom on earth. You look at them and you see that one day Jesus returns in glory with his saints to rule and reign over the earth. By the way, in the book of Acts... 40 days after Jesus has risen from the dead, he ascends into heaven. As his disciples look up at his departure, two men appear from out of nowhere and speak to them. They're commonly believed to be angels, but the text doesn't say that they're angels. It's at least possible that they again are Moses and Elijah. Also, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, two witnesses appear... Two Old Testament saints who hassle the Antichrist for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. They too are most likely Moses and Elijah. You know, there's a couple of guys that have a pretty full schedule. They're checking their palm pilots. Oh, well, transfiguration, got to go back and hassle the Antichrist. Okay, I'm not free until after the millennium. I mean, these guys are busy. And I only say that because sometimes people think, what are we going to do in heaven? What happens in heaven? I don't know, but we're going to be busy. God, uh, just look around at creation now. Look at the Garden of Eden where God intended Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and and just rule over his creation. There's going to be plenty to do. On the other hand, if you want to sit on a cloud and play a harp, you can do that too. I mean, that's the classic view, isn't it? A lot of people, you know, and then they say, I want to party with my buddies in hell. I don't want to be on no cloud. I say, well, there ain't no parties in hell. No partying in hell, believe me. And uh, the cloud is fine for me. I'm, I'm a cloud person. But anyway, these guys spoke about Jesus' decease. The word means departure. Jesus' death on the cross was a planned event. Moses and Elijah knew about it. Jesus knew about it. It was his method of departure from the earth back to glory, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. The word deceased can also be translated exodus. Jesus made his entrance from heaven to earth at his birth or his incarnation, we call it. He would make his exit or his exodus from earth back to heaven. Exodus is a word filled with symbolism to a Jew, which you'll want to keep in mind in the next few verses. Peter, John, and James almost missed everything. But Peter and those with him, Heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. It's my favorite verse of this section. Heavy with sleep. I can totally relate to that. I'm a sleeper. A heavy sleeper. And I have slept through some of the most significant events of my life. I can sleep anytime. Coffee doesn't help anymore. Some of you say, oh, I can't drink coffee after 2 p.m. I'm still drinking coffee at 8 o'clock at night to stay up till 10. I mean, I'm just, I I get up early, but I'm a sleeper. I just just fall asleep. I wanted to be awake when Mary was born. I really did. (laughs) Actually, I was, but middle of the night, you know, I think my water broke. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. I'd said that. I said, no, it didn't. I'm tired. It couldn't have broke. Yes, it did. Down to the hospital. Long labor. Long labor. What is wrong with those guys letting you go for like hours and hours and hours? No progress. Finally, C-section the next day. And I was awake for when Mary came out of the operating room. Back then, you know, I'm so old, they didn't let you in back in those days, you know. Didn't matter how much training you had. So, but I, I can't, Honestly say that I was awake the whole time encouraging my wife. I just want you to know that, because I'm a sleeper, and so uh I can relate. I'm into this. I would have been asleep on the mountain with Jesus. However, I don't want to immediately chide them. They may have, excuse the expression, petered out. <laughs> hey now, this is where that expression comes from. It's from all these jokes about Peter. And he remembers every time you used it. And he's gonna talk to you about it. But so They may have petered out at the end, but they did climb the mountain with Jesus. And they did for a time pray with Jesus. And they did recover to reveal and later record this amazing episode. They were moving forward even if it was three steps forward for every two steps back. And so I don't want to criticize them. Now you and I may not have trouble staying awake in church or at prayer meetings and things like that. But the bigger question is, Am I asleep in any area of my spiritual life? Is there some area of my life where I'm kind of yawning or dozing or, or, you know, letting it slide? And that would be a good devotional way of looking at this. Now, thy kingdom come is our prayer, but the kingdom has been delayed. Taking up our cross daily and walking with it is difficult and dangerous and it can be awfully discouraging. We battle sin and self and Satan as we watch and wait for the Lord to return. It's a tremendous encouragement, therefore, to see him in his glory. By eyewitness testimony recorded in God's living word, you are enabled to see Jesus as he truly is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. These guys were also ear witnesses because of their faithfulness You hear the glory of Jesus until his second coming. Wiping the sleep out of their eyes, the three disciples tried to put what they were seeing into some kind of a perspective. Here is what they came up with. Then it happened, verse 33, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, let's start at the end, where Peter is described as not knowing what he said. It can be taken several ways. Normally, it is explained as Peter just blurting out something without thinking. Well, it certainly was blurted out, but it wasn't without thinking. I mean, who automatically wakes up from a deep sleep and says, Oh, let's make three tabernacles. It's an unusual phrase. Only a Jew would say that. We unnecessarily criticize Peter because of our own lack of understanding of the Jewish mind of the first century. Peter may have been an ignorant fisherman, but he was no dummy when it came to the scripture. Tabernacles was a feast on the Jewish calendar. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles or sometimes the Feast of Booths. It was held during the time of harvest and it was even referred to as the Feast of Ingathering. Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, the Feast of gathering all one and the same. The Jews would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they would set up temporary shelters. Those shelters were called tabernacles or booths and they would camp out in them with their families. It commemorated the wilderness wanderings of the Exodus generation. There's that word again. And by it, the parents were able to teach their children in an object lesson that their ancestors had been delivered from self and sin and Satan through the exodus from the wilderness. And so this is so full of Jewish symbolism that we have a tendency to miss. More importantly... It was commonly believed that the Feast of Tabernacles would immediately precede the establishing of the kingdom of God on earth. The thought was, just as the harvest was being ingathered, so God would gather in his scattered people to Jerusalem and establish them in their kingdom ruled by their king. Makes sense, doesn't it? That at a time when you are gathering in the harvest that God would bring in His people and they were all there living in booths that the kingdom would be established. And so Peter was wrong, but he was not stupid. He fell back on his scriptural training. And when he saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus and Jesus glorified as He will look in, as the king of all the earth, he thought, man, this is it. Feast of Tabernacles, let's build some booths. Let's do it, Lord, right here, right now. By the way, what you believe is really important. It is what you fall back on in times of crisis. And and, and never forget that. Some of you guys and gals have had unique training for your uh, careers. Uh, I think in terms, for example, of law enforcement or uh, you know fire safety and things like that and you, you'll give that testimony that man all of a sudden I just went on autopilot I, I don't really know what I did but I, I reverted back to my training and it's a good thing because it's good training the same thing happens spiritually in a sense with us as Christians you're going to revert back to your spiritual training what you believe to be true and it's, you're either going to be able to be strengthened by it or you're going to get wiped out because you're not in training and you're going to you know, wonder what's going on. And so Peter gets this scene, and it's something that he had thought about his entire life as a Jew, the kingdom of God on earth, and he believed that it was happening. And so Peter was wrong, but not stupid. It would take a long time for the disciples to finally realize that the establishing of the kingdom on earth was going to be postponed until Jesus' second coming. Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, I bet. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is more Old Testament symbolism. During the Exodus, God was present with Israel as a pillar of cloud by day. His presence in the tabernacle was called the Shekinah, This visible manifestation of the glory of God in the tabernacle, then later in the temple, had been removed from the temple 600 years earlier, but here it was again, giving them a glimpse and a promise of the coming kingdom. Peter had seen Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He then addressed, in verse 33, Jesus as Master. It's a title that means Teacher. It seems that Peter was putting Jesus on a par with Moses and Elijah. Even though Peter had recently uh, confessed that Jesus was the Christ of God, he didn't really understand that Jesus was God. The Father said him, and he set us straight, Jesus is the unique Son of God. What that means, as you trace it through the Bible, is that Jesus was always God but came as a man submitting himself on earth as a son to his father in order to save mankind. People try and take this phrase, the son of God, cults and different groups, and they say that Jesus is somehow less than God. He is not fully God. I Always need to be really careful trying to describe the Trinity or the triune nature of God. It's a mind bender. God exists, God is one God existing in three persons, but they're all one. Whoa, heavy duty. It's like a drug induced thing, you know, except that it's in the Bible. And that's what you get from reading the Bible. And people say, well, that can't be true. I don't understand that, blah, blah, blah. Well, what about you? You're a tripart person. Or if I wanted to be really intelligent, I would say you were a trichotomy. that's what four years of college will do to you. (laughs) Body, soul, and spirit, right? Okay, I believe that. Do you know the difference between the soul and the spirit? No, nobody does. In fact, the Bible says only God can discern between the soul and the spirit. How do I even know there is a soul or a spirit? Well, I, I, I don't know. That person... Seems to be alive. Now they're not. Maybe they had a soul and a spirit. Maybe it departed. I mean, there's so much that we don't know about ourselves. Interesting that we would be a tripart person. Since we're made in the image of God. Who is described to us in the Bible as a trinity. We sometimes call them the first, second, and third persons of the Godhead. And, And the more you try and explain it, the more trouble you get into. However, here's what I do know. Before the earth was created in eternity past. God. One God in three persons. Determined. That the second person. Would come as a man. And die for my sins. And in that sense. To help me understand what that's all about. The Bible declares that. Jesus. As God. Submitted to. God the father. As a son would submit to their father. Not. Not. Any less than the Father, but just in terms of His function in saving me. And so, if anything, this title, the Son of God, more proves Jesus' deity to me rather than takes it away. At any rate, the Father set Him and us straight. Jesus is the Son. Hear Him. Peter thought, man, Jesus, Moses and Elijah, they just didn't get it that Jesus was God. And so the the Lord, or, you know, so Father spoke from heaven and He said, "No, no, you don't understand. He is the supreme one. He is the one to hear and to listen to." In verse thirty six, when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. Now, to me, this is comical. I, I want you to think about this for a minute. Can you imagine the other disciples? Asking these three guys, hey, how was the prayer meeting? I mean, you know, this wasn't a secret thing. Peter, John, and James went up on the mountain. In the past, when Peter, John, and James went with Jesus, remarkable things happened. Jairus' daughter had been raised from the dead. And you're, you know, they're normal people just like us. Hey, how was that? What, what was it like up there on the mountain? Oh, it's fine. Well, no, really, what happened? Nothing. Come on, what? come on, let us in on it. Uh, Moses, <clears throat> what? I mean, it says they didn't say anything. Now, why they didn't say anything, you, know, you can speculate and all, but it's, it's just interesting. It's just interesting to me. I think at least one of the reasons why they kept quiet was that they were starting to learn that they needed to think things through. They were understanding that everything they believed was true, but it was true in a way they had never really thought about before. Yes, there was going to be a kingdom with a king reigning and ruling, but it wasn't going to be right then, right now. It wasn't going to be the way that they thought it was going to be. And I'm fond of looking in the scriptures and, and noting our personal biases and prejudices. Because they keep us from really understanding things that the Lord would want us to know. And so maybe, at least in this episode, they're starting to think, we we better just ponder this. We better think about this. Everything we thought was going to happen is is still going to happen, but it's it's so different than anything we can even imagine. And so let's wait before we tell the other guys. Now, my own personal conjecture, and it is just me, it's not in the Bible, so don't, don't, Go to get, get it wrong. In the Old Testament, when Moses was in the presence of God, he came out shining. His face had a kind of radiance to it. And I wonder if these guys looked a little different from having been in the presence of Jesus and in the cloud of glory. And if the other disciples were saying, we know something happened <laughs> because you've got quite a tan going there, John. And I don't know, that's just pure speculation, but it's interesting to try and think of their dynamics as a group and how all that worked out together. Eventually, they did tell others, and that's why Luke could write about it. Through the Gospels and in Peter's own second letter, you still hear the glory of God, not audibly from heaven as they did, but authoritatively from heaven in your heart. Jesus, writing to the churches in the Revelation, would repeat the phrase, quote, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He wasn't talking about necessarily your physical ear. He was talking about a spiritual kind of hearing as we encounter the word of God. If you are a Christian, you hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you as you read God's word. He speaks to you through the scriptures. By the way... It might be good for you when you're talking to people who aren't Christians to avoid telling them that God speaks to you, unless you're also going to describe how that takes place and what you mean about that. Because I I've seen too many whacked out people on Fox News that say God spoke to me and you know I killed seventeen people or whatever. And that's what the norm, That's what the average person thinks. You know, if God start, if you start hearing voices, they have medications for that. And so uh, just be careful about your Christian, you know, language when when you're uh, out with, uh, you know, among the other unbelievers. But we understand that God speaks to you, not audibly, but authoritatively as you're reading his word and it comes into your heart. People say, well, you know, how does that really happen? I don't, you know, really sense God speaking to me all that much. Here's something that you might want to try. Just it's called repetitive reading. A lot of times, and it's good, people want to go through the Bible in a year and they've got their Bible reading plan and all that's good. I have nothing wrong with that. However, sometimes you just need to take a portion of scripture, take a paragraph as it's broken up in your Bible, read it, read it again, read it again, read it again, come back tomorrow, read it again, read it again, just keep reading it over and over again. And I've never known anyone who was a Christian who didn't do repetitive reading, who then didn't see things jump out at them from that text. Repeated words, ideas, thoughts. God wants you to dig deep into His Word, and that's one of the ways of doing it. Uh, you know, there there are good commentaries that you can read that'll help you, but God's Word and God's Holy Spirit probably the best commentary that you're going to find. And there's no insight that's as exciting to you as your own insight when god shows you something it may be the simplest thing in the world but it's something god showed you and you're excited about it and by the way if somebody comes up to you and says that the lord showed them something and it's something you already know act like you don't know it and encourage them at least i mean you don't have to lie but i've seen so many people oh you know god showed me yeah i learned that 20 years ago okay thanks loser but anyway just had to clear my throat there you should hear the glory of god as you read your bible the coming king is speaking to you as you watch and wait for his imminent arrival the glory that awaits makes ample amends for any of your current afflictions your eyes have seen and your ears have heard the coming of the glory of the lord glory, glory, hallelujah, is still being put to a common tune. It is put to the tune of your life as you are watching and waiting for Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for making our life a song, giving us harmony, Lord, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to understand Jesus, your Son and our Savior. And Lord, Peter and John and James, they physically and literally saw you transfigured before them on the mount. They literally and physically heard the voice of the Father from heaven speaking to them. But commenting on it, Peter said that we have something more precious, something more sure, and that is the written Word of God. And Lord, in it and through it, you reveal your glory and we are people that need to hear and see your glory because of our pilgrim struggle on the earth there are battles to be fought there is a great commotion Lord on this planet as cosmic battles unfold we fight against sin and our own selves and of course the devil and his principalities and powers And so make it our battle hymn, Lord, to see and hear your glory. And in our spirit to shout, glory, glory, hallelujah. And to consider our light affliction but for a moment compared to the glory that will be ours in eternity. We thank you and we praise you and we do it as always in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand together. Some of the guys will be down here to pray with you this morning, and all I can do is encourage you to avail yourself of the opportunity to share a moment of prayer, if that's on your heart. Uh, May God bless and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Lord, prepare me a sanctuary pure and holy. Try that. And- week.